Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling, and candidate Q&A, so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 409 of the Recruiting Future podcast. In the latter part of last year, I had two conversations on the show about hiring from marginalised groups. The first was with Ojen van der Hemmel, who's doing pioneering work in the Netherlands to connect refugees with employment opportunities. The second was with Darren Burns, who runs the ex-offender hiring programme for UK retailer Timpson. Both these conversations were eye-opening for me. They highlighted that now more than ever, employers need to challenge traditional policies and beliefs to think differently about hiring if they want to be genuinely inclusive. I wanted to know more. And a few weeks ago, I was introduced to James Fellows and Chance Blue Montgomery from Prosper4, who run an inclusive hiring portal called Bridge of Hope. Their organisation helps bridge the gap between being job ready and getting a job in many marginalised and diverse talent pools. Their knowledge and expertise comes from incredibly challenging personal experiences and it was a privilege to give them this platform to tell their story. Please keep listening. This is incredibly important. Hi James, hi Chance and welcome to the podcast. Could you just introduce yourselves and tell us what you do? Uh, Good afternoon Matt Um, and many thanks uh, for inviting us to your podcast. Um, So my name is James Fellows um, and I'm the founder of the Bridge of Hope uh, which is an inclusive talent portal based in the UK and I was born lucky. And I'm uh, Chance Blue Montgomery, I'm the partner support manager um, on Bridge of Hope and I was born unlucky. Now, as listeners might already have guessed, you both have very, very interesting stories that I really want to kind of dig into because um, they're so very relevant to what we're talking about on the show today. Before we do, though, tell us a little bit about your organisation. It's a a bit of a unique organisation. What what makes it so different? Yes, uh, we work for a pioneering social impact business called Prosper 4 Group. And our unique claim to fame... Uh, if you can call it that, is that most of our exec team and indeed much of our organization have been locked up. In my case, in a psychiatric ward outside New York. And in my case, it was a prison in Brixton and a mental hospital in Hackney. Okay. James, you said you were born lucky. Tell, Tell us your story. Well, to be honest, I was actually born incredibly lucky. Um, I had a very idyllic uh, childhood 
uh, brought up in Newmarket, uh, which is near Cambridge and the home of horse racing. I had a lovely, lovely uh, welcoming family um, and a very privileged childhood. Uh, and about age 13, I was sent away uh, to the world's most famous or now infamous school. Uh, yes, you probably guessed it, uh, where I was in the same class as a chap called Cameron, who went on to run the country. I was also a few years below a chap called Boris, and probably better not say any more on that front. Uh, having left Eton, I went to uh, Edinburgh University, uh, and then uh, I joined the graduate training program for Bass, uh, which at the time was the world's uh, leading hospitality company. Uh, I spent a very happy 12 years with Bass, uh, and then got headhunted to move over to Guinness, uh, which ultimately became part of Diageo, the world's leading premium drinks company. Um, and I had uh, unbelievable good fortune from a career point of view and from a family point of view. Uh, and in 2002, I was moved uh, over to America with Diageo uh, and was run running most of the biggest customers in North America, happily married. I had three incredible children, and I frankly was living the American dream in a large mansion with a swimming pool and a white picket fence. And then in 2008, my luck ran out. And Chance, unlike James, you were born unlucky. Tell us about some of the incredible challenges that you faced. So, so I was I was born into a family where my dad didn't think I was his, and so I experienced physical abuse. The first being before I was one years old, um, one year old, and this went on. So I didn't feel significant at home and with trauma. And so when I sort of grew up a bit, left a family house, I I met some friends, and they made me feel significant. But the the byproduct of that is that they was from the antisocial membership and it was only going to be a matter of time before I got into trouble. And I did. Uh, by the time I was 16, I ended up in prison. And then by the time I was 18, my sister took me to a, a mental hospital because uh, things had got, got really bad. And, um, and so... You know, I chased my tail a little bit and really, you know, tried to make some changes, but this was a struggle. And and then my sister died. She she died of cancer. And within a year, my life had unraveled. Um, I didn't want to talk about it because that would make it real. And within that year, I, I ended up in, in prison again. These are both very powerful stories and you you, you both had uh, epiphany moments which were which were very different that sort of set you on the the, the path that you're on now uh, tell us about them james you know pick up your story first okay so we're in uh, 2008 uh, i'm sure you remember was the the era of the financial crash uh, and it affected every large organization regardless of sector uh, and sadly uh, when the music stopped in a large reorganization in my organization there was no seat left for me uh, and this, for the first time ever, I was unemployed, and suddenly my lucky streak was over, frankly, with a vengeance. During the next seven years, uh, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. I was swindled twice. All my savings were cleaned out. I was sued by somebody who closed down my successful startup business, and I was made redundant no less than four times. Uh, on top of this, there was a major property crash. Uh, and our finances effectively cratered, so badly so that uh, I wasn't actually able to feed my kids. I had no money left to do that. And I'm sure everybody who's listening who is a parent will appreciate that you're hardwired hard to do that. 
And so, unfortunately, I was unable to operate. My brain effectively closed down. Uh, and the space of uh, three weeks, I lost uh, just under three stone. And ultimately, I, I was sectioned uh, for the foreseeable future at the time. A very scary, scary experience taken to a, a psychiatric ward just outside New York. Um, but fortunately, after two or three weeks, my brother and uncle came and they took me out of the ward and brought me back to the UK to recover. Uh, but it was pretty clear fairly soon that, unfortunately, everything had unraveled and my that my marriage was over, uh, my access to my kids had gone, uh, and I'd lost my career, my house. Um, the whole lot had come down like a stack of cards. Uh, and the only thing I gained uh, was a diagnosis of bipolar. Um, so I tried to try to get a job, um, but pretty well immediately uh, I was effectively unemployable. Uh, nobody wanted to hire me, whether it be a coffee shop uh, or a pub. Uh, the only place I could get a job uh, was a place that didn't want CVs, uh, which was a frozen food factory down the road. Uh, and I was the janitor uh, at minus 55 degrees for about eight months. Uh, unfortunately, then got, I did get a little bit of a lucky break, got back into the drinks industry uh, on the data side um, and had two years where things were really going great. I doubled my targets. Everything was great. And then they brought a new CEO in, and he thought that I was expensive and that two 24-year-olds could do a better job and save a bit of money. And for one more time, I was made redundant uh, once again. Uh, and that was when um, I went after being made redundant, and I sat on a church wall uh, in East London. And that was when I had my personal come-to-Jesus moment or epiphany moment. I know it sounds a cliche, but uh, it, it generally, uh, genuinely did happen, uh, where I was like, okay, do you want to carry on? effectively selling legal drugs, or uh, do you actually want to make a positive difference to the world? And Chance, let's, let's pick up your story. What, what happened to you? Well, what, after my sister died um, and I, my, you know, my life unraveled, as, as you've heard, um, I, I ended up inside and I, I, I sat down um, and I asked myself this question. I said, do you like who you are? Do you like who you've become? And the answer was worse than no. I mean, I really had had enough and I didn't think I wanted to live anymore at this point. Um, and so I had these choices in front of me, either to well not live or change. And so I threw everything and the kitchen sink and the neighbor's kitchen sink at change. And I spent three years and 10 months um, in therapy um, to deal with the childhood traumas, to unlock some pain, and um, also spent five years studying with the Open University to give myself an education, which my childhood didn't afford to me, and done swathes of personal development programs. And after doing all of that work, I remember having this incredible, overwhelming feeling of joy and warm, warm tears just came flooding down my face um, and they were those tears of joy. And it was because, Matt, for the first time in my entire life, I felt freedom. No more emotional discombobulation, no more anger. I was filled with forgiveness. And most importantly, I was topped to the brim with self-respect. And I realised that a few things were, well, one, my childhood experiences my childhood history was no longer going to define my future and I realized that I'd finally became the person I was all always meant to be and that was after some really hard work and 
I decided on that very day that whatever work I do going forward, I want it to be a job that supports and nourishes the lives of other people and communities. And so coming on to uh, getting involved with, with Bridge of Hope was a real blessing that I could now reach marginalised or system-impacted and diverse talent from across the board, whether they be veterans, people who's come to contact the criminal justice system, people with neurodiversity, um, you know, you name it. Coming back to James, so you decided to leave the drinks industry, you wanted to change the world. How did you end up pioneering inclusive recruitment? Well, that's a very good question. Um, to be honest, I had no clue uh, what I wanted to do uh, once I'd made that kind of decision. But the only thing that I felt it, uh, to my core was it was going to be something uh, to do with jobs uh, and employment. Uh, you know, I had my own personal experience where I'd had over two decades in employment where life was frankly absolutely golden. And then I'd had seven years where largely um, a period of unemployment where life was an absolute train wreck. Uh, and I thought, this is, can't be just me. Um, so that was uh, the sort of plan was and thinking was I'm going to do something about employment, but I had no idea how. Um, but as luck would have it, um, that evening, um, when I just had my moment on the wall, uh, I was meeting up with my best mate from uh, my childhood, uh, a chap called George, uh, for curry that evening. Uh, now, George and I were best mates um, in Newmarket. Um, whilst I had a very happy childhood, um, Unfortunately, he didn't. Um, and his father had in, uh, actually been the jockey for uh, the Grand National, winning jockey in the Grand National in 1958, which is an absolutely incredible achievement. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, after that, his father's life had unraveled through alcohol um, and gambling um, and concussion. Um, and so George had a really, really tough time. Despite that, he went on to be a successful uh, biotech uh, CEO and then went on into the government uh, and is now uh, the Minister for Science uh, and Innovation. Uh, and anyway, so I met up with George that evening um, and I told him about what had happened. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, this is this is great news. I'm going to go and make a big difference. Uh, and after he checked whether I was actually taking my pills or not and he realized I was serious, he said, well, I tell you what, why don't you come uh, and be an intern in the House of Parliament for three months? I've got one space left. I'd like to remember my dad. And let's see if we can turn, you know, the, the, the cliche of two lemons into lemonade. Um, so I started uh, on the Monday afterwards uh, in the House of Commons. And, and George said to me, OK, look, you, you just get on and do this. Um, but the remit was quite simple. Uh, and it was go find something nobody else was doing in the social sector. And then let's trial it uh, or pilot it in the horse racing sector. Uh, and if it works, we can scale it. So I thought that was a fantastic remit. <laughs> um, and I was like, OK, well, where do I start? Um, and I knew it was going to be to do with people uh, and jobs. And so I started ringing quite a few of the charities, you know, the most household name charities in the UK. And I was asking them what they did um, and how their model worked. And it was extraordinary. I must have rung about 15 or 20 charities that looked after people. And they all had the same model, uh, which was that they picked people up who had a tough time. They may have been homeless. They may have been in prison. They may be refugees, uh, veterans, you name it, whatever it was. Um, and they helped rehabilitate them or get them back on track. Uh, and ultimate and the end game was to get them a job, a job ready uh, or work ready. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Uh, what about a job? And the answer was, well, no, we don't actually do that. Um, and so I heard so many different uh, CEOs said the same thing that all of them focused on getting them work ready or job ready. 
and none of them actually helped them get a job. And I'm like, wow, this is an incredible talent pool. People who uh, are supported by charities are now rehabilitated, ready to get back on in the game, um, but there's no access for them to get to the employers. And meanwhile, you know, on the other side, uh, you've got the employers who three years ago when we started were uh, screaming out for more people and also wanted more diverse talent. So it struck me there was a massive missing link, um, and hence the Bridge of Hope, uh, to connect charities with uh, amazing talent uh, ready for a job and employers who are looking for more diverse talent. So that was that was the theory. Um, and so we went to the horse racing industry. Um, well, first of all, actually, we did, uh, we did a little bit of research. We did some research to try and see if there was some substance behind this or not, um, and found there was some great research by um, the British... Uh, business in the community uh, and also CIPD. And it talked about um, this group of people, kind of, we call them untapped talent. And it compared them with, uh, you know, normal talent, as it were, people who haven't had adversaries, don't have barriers to employment. Uh, And the results were extraordinary um, because on pretty well every metric, uh, the untapped group uh, or the discarded group performed better, uh, whether that was working hard, staying longer, or actually they were great for your reputation. Um, and the obvious case point there is Timpson's. And I, I know, Matt, you did a, a talk with Darren from Timpson's a few weeks back. Um, so we had our idea. Uh, we had our research, which demonstrated it made sense. And we went to the racing industry. Uh, they loved it. Uh, we piloted it for about 18 months. And it worked very well uh, in theory. But the honest answer was it wasn't terribly scalable. It was very analog. Um, and um, it was expensive to do as well. Um And at the same time, I met a chap called Michael. Um, Now, Michael had uh, made my career crash look pretty tame. Uh, He'd been a partner at Deloitte's, and then he'd made an interesting career decision of joining a Nigerian bank. Uh, On the back of that, he spent two and a half years regretting joining a Nigerian bank uh, in a prison just outside London. And when Michael came out of prison, uh, nobody was interested in the fact that he was a former partner at Deloitte. All they cared about was that he was a former convict, and so nobody would hire him. And that's four, this was five years ago. He set up Prosper for our business to help originally ex-offenders get into work. Now, this proved to be uh, pretty successful, uh, especially when he created a digital jobs board in 2016, started really scaling, and they put about six or 700 former prisoners into work. But there was one flaw, uh, and that was a commercial flaw, and nobody was prepared to pay for the privilege of hiring ex-offenders. Uh, it was kind of the good deed of the day stuff. Um, and so if you imagine we had these two journeys, um, separate journeys, we were starting to combine forces, and then COVID happened, uh, which was a terrifying experience. I'm sure everybody had the same thing. Uh, and we were looking at two organizations that were both about to go belly up. So we said, well, hold on a second. We've, we've got some real strengths in both of these uh, particular areas. Uh, what about if we merge them? And the idea was to take Michael's uh, digital jobs board and experience working with marginalized communities and my inclusive model fed by charities and also uh, social enterprises uh, and universities and put the two together to create the Bridge of Hope, uh, which is what we did uh, about 13 months ago. Chance, coming back to you, you, you decided to turn your life around and really wanted to focus on helping other people. How did you meet James and how did you end up getting involved in Bridge of Hope? Well, during my, um, my, my journey of personal development, um, I was working with 
a couple of our referral partners actually who and they were supporting me in various ways and I was introduced to James uh, James uh, became my mentor um, and he's been sort of guiding me ever since with some of the business stuff that I've been doing some of my entrepreneurial things and in life in general and then one thing about James he's really good at spotting diamonds in the rough and uh, made me realize that I was one of them and he, I, in a way, I suppose, give me a little dusting off and a little polishing and I'm sparkling now. He's brought me in on Bridge of Hope. Um, and a lot of it's, it's based not just on the sort of things that I can bring to the table, but there is a really strong passion that drives me to helping all our 130 um, referral partners in getting their employ- um, candidates into em- employment. And, um, and so... When he asked me to get involved with Bridge of Hope, um, and we, we we had a good look at it and we thought it was fantastic that there's this wonderful pathway, this wonderful bridge where um, marginalised and diverse candidates can get themselves into um, employ- employment with employers who are looking for them. And But we didn't think this was good enough. We wanted it to be even like much more better than that. We wanted it to the, the journey across that bridge to nourish the lives of the candidates going over. And so, um, and, and with lots of support um, stalls. And so we have um, a great few stalls on that bridge. One um, for, for any candidate, for instance, who's ambivalent and unsure, there's lots of career changes going on at the moment. They can put in all their information and that, um, that will give them back a list of industries those skills are transferable to. And another store that we have on the bridge um, uh, offers free qualifications. And so if a candidate was to find out that actually I'm going to be great in this new industry that I had no idea about, but where do I get the tickets? Where do I get the qualifications? Well, you can get them on the next stall. And then we have some pathways into hospitality and things like that. But there are two that's really great um, that we, were really important to us, and, and they were the financial ones. One um, will help our candidates to access their wages before payday, and um, which is fantastic because we know um, uh, when you doesn't matter who you are when you go into a new job you're completely out of your comfort zone. And if you've experienced any social anxieties and things like this, having a utility bill come in that you can't pay while you're working your month in hand could be a real um, problem and could really cause you to um, struggle some more. And so what we've got is this in place. So if they've worked three weeks, they can access three weeks wages to pay for that bill. And then they don't have to worry about it and they carry on down the good path into employment. And the the other financial support that we have um, for all our candidates on Bridge of Hope um, is um, an organisation uh, called uh, Income Max. And what they do is they don't only give our candidates free financial advice, they give that advice to the whole family. And um, I've tried them myself to support, you know, members of my family, particularly through lockdown when mum was sort of struggling, we want to keep her warm and stuff. And um, we got them involved and they turned everything around very quickly in, in sort of six weeks. And so I knew this was the same, the same for first in family graduates. And, and we support quite a few of those. And, and 
Because if you get a degree, if you're the one in your family that turns their lives around or you're in the family that gets the degree, it's not just you that gets a degree. The whole family just got a degree. And they, 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 they expect to benefit from that um, in some way or other. You know, it's such the celebrations um, are quite huge. And so whenever anyone in the family gets into any sort of financial um, problems, they would normally turn to the, the one with the earning power, the one who's got the degree or, and, and so forth. And so lots of pressure comes on people like myself. And so having this in place was really great because now I know all of our first in family um, graduates, uh, many of whom come from the 25 um, universities we work with, can now offer um, income max as a service to their families as opposed to taking on the pressure themselves and trying to deal with that. And so as we build this coalition, it's built truly from a point of empathy because I am the end user, so I know what's really important. And so rather than having a, um, a nourishing journey but with too much clutter, these are really special and important components that we're having. We're just about to um, put together the uh, – coalition of resources also for, for employers as well james tell us a bit more about bridge of hope's unique talent pool where 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 does your talent come from and and how is what you do sort of different from other uh, diverse job boards that are out there uh, absolutely um, i think the, the primary difference and and chance alluded to it earlier is that is that our untapped talent uh, is largely sourced from referral partners so typically they're charities uh, or social enterprises uh, who focus around employability uh, and what we call widening participation universities. Um, so uh, we also have um, walk-ins, so people that might see what we're doing on social media or see an opportunity, uh, and they also have barriers to employment. And of course, we'd like to include them as well. Um, we so far we have a, uh, we basically have a, a dozen talent pools. Um, and these would include anything from veterans, uh, women returners, young people, care leavers, bottom line, anyone with barriers to employment. And if you're sort of trying to get a feel for sort of the types of referral partners we might have, uh, just looking at the homeless talent pool, uh, we work closely with uh, some extraordinary uh, organizations such as St. Mungo's, Crisis, Centerpoint, um, and End Youth, End Youth Homelessness. So some really great organizations. Um, but there are also a couple of talent pools that we think are really uh, ripe for uh, for the picking, as it were, uh, for talent acquisition and recruiters. Um, and the first one would, would be refugees. Uh, and if you think about these, um, many of them have had highly successful careers before having to leave everything and start all over again. Uh, just getting here, they've demonstrated extraordinary resilience and grit. Uh, but the great thing is that the refugee charities that we work with then work very closely to ensure that they've got work visas, they've got a good grasp of the language, and that they're job ready and raring to go. Uh, and people think, oh, well, you're a refugee, so we've got to put you in a low-level job. Well, why? If they've been a CFO in Libya or they've been a, uh, a finance director, whatever it might be, um, in, in Syria, why would they not go in at a high level uh, over here? So that's one uh, fantastic uh, talent pool. Uh, another one which um, is near and dear to my heart uh, with, with bipolar uh, is the neurodiverse talent pool. Um, and the reason why uh, we look at this and we stop thinking about this as basically mental health or dis disabilities or stigma and start saying, hold on a second, flip the model and start thinking of this as an incredible 
uh, opportunity to find extraordinary talent. Um, and you don't need to look much further, for example, than the autistic group. Um, and without stereotyping, I think everybody realizes that group is unbelievably good at focus um, and attention to detail, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so if you're recruiting for an organization looking for compliance uh, officers or people on uh, detailed operation roles, why are you not looking at the autistic talent pool? After all, only less than 20% have actually got a job. And now with the uh, era of home working, uh, they could actually have a fantastic job and not have some of the challenges that might come uh, from going into an office. Um, on the flip side uh, of neurodiverse, uh, dyslexic is another area we think an uh, uh, incredible uh, little mini talent pool. Um, you know, these are very, very creative, highly innovative. Many top uh, entrepreneurs are dyslexic. I mean, you look at Richard Branson, you look at uh, Joe Malone, etc. Um, and um, they've had to be super creative. They've had to find ways uh, to get around a system because they've had their entire education uh, where they've been basically uh, at a huge disadvantage. Uh, and you could go on throughout the other different types of uh, neurodiversity. And certainly from a bipolar point of view, uh, I know that bipolar people are phenomenal at looking uh, for big opportunities. Uh, in fact, some research came back that something like 75% of the founding fathers of America are actually bipolar. Uh, how do they know that? Well, because a psychologist is, is, has done the research, but also uh, you'd have to be a bit nuts uh, to leave your nice family uh, farm in Cornwall or Gloucestershire and go over to a barren continent with nothing and think that's a good idea. Um, so we think all of those are amazing talent pools um, and that they're supported by these charities, which makes such a huge difference. Um, so our goal um, at the beginning of the year, beginning of 2021, when we started, was that we'd have uh, 12,000 registered candidates from these charity pools, these pools. Uh, and um, after 13 months now, we were hoping for 12,000. Uh, we're on about 71,000, uh, which has blown away our mind. Uh, and as Chance mentions, we're supported by well over 100 charities and about 25 universities. Chance, you've, you've talked already about the some of the partners that you work with to help people on to help people on the journey into in, into employment how important is that work in terms of making sure that people stay in work once once they manage to find an opportunity i think it's really important to 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 have these um support systems in place um simply because it's it's for people who uh, face barriers um yes indeed they've uh, have lots of resilience and lots of grit um, but it, there is anxiety you know when looking for employment and so a lot of and when you've got the the new job because sometimes it's just so hard to find one in the first place you don't get a chance to really shine um, so when you do get that that chance it's important to have these things in place uh, which are really targeted at reducing um, anxiety um, at those early stages at those early stages, um, and and also taking pressure off, and so and so, what happens is you don't only get a uh, a candidate with with resilience and, and grit, and you only have to look to to Angela Duckworth's uh, research on her TED talk um, about grit, and um, and and I think they've done some uh, some 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 tasks um, where they took. Uh, a bunch of uh, 
people with qualifications and a bunch of people with resilience and grit. They put their loads of tasks in front of them and the people with grit won hands down um, on all of them. And so what you get is great candidates with grit, but not only that, you get candidates who are supported um, by um, my, myself and, and other members of the team from the back rooms. And we're always building this coalition to make sure that that stays as smooth and as supportive as, as possible. James, quickly talk us through the the actual product that you have in terms of how you interface with it with employers and uh, and what type of clients are you already working with? Yes, well, we have two core products, Matt. Um, we try to keep it pretty simple. Uh, our first product and our core product is an annual subscription. And this allows you as an employer to post unlimited jobs uh, and you can hire unlimited new employees. In fact, the more the better. That's the whole point of what we're doing. Uh, and to, to date, uh, after just over a year, uh, we've had just over 65,000 job postings. Uh, and our second product, uh, and the vast majority of our clients actually have both, uh, our second product is a sourcing license. So this is more of a proactive license allowing you to go and source the best untapped talent from our portal. So you might be thinking, I'm looking for uh, veterans uh, in the Northeast, or you might be looking for first-in-family graduates in Glasgow. Whatever it might be, uh, this license allows you to go in, uh, have a look in that particular talent pool, that particular geography, uh, and then tap people on the shoulder, ask them if they'd like to be invited to an interview, uh, and then we'd like you to hire as many as you can. Again, totally unlimited, uh, and that is the point. Um, And so those are our two core products, very, very simple. Um, And as far as employers, uh, well, we only went commercially live uh, in July last year, um, but we couldn't be more thrilled that we've got uh, incredible inclusive employers such as The Body Shop, uh, Direct Line, Santander, Talk Talk, Timpsons. uh, And we also have multiple um, leading RPOs uh, and talent agencies as well um, who have subscribed to the service. So we couldn't be more thrilled with the uh, the uptake so far after just after six months of commercial uh, commercialization. And, and Chance, you, you you have a really interesting role, and I, and I think it's interesting because it, it illustrates just how important humans still are in the recruitment process in this age of technology. How do you help employers in terms of sort of really sort of improving their odds of finding the best candidates across the the talent pools that you work with? Well, um, th- well there's, there's great odds, as, as James explained, with the, the sourcing license where you can go in one end. Um, but at the other hand, you've got me um, herding the right talent pool to the right jobs um, as well. You know, just as an example, um, the body shop started their um, open hiring with us and they piloted their UK one over here. And um it's in a particular area, I think, near Brighton, and I'm able then to contact all of our uh, referral partners and charities in that area. We'd have got candidates living in that area, and we can send all of the information to them, and, and that always um, helps to get a better job uptake. And um, and if there's some roles where it's really, you know, like, uh, for instance, where people from the neurodiverse, if it's like a tech role, I would look into that talent pool, for example, and help the employer to actually realise that there are some different talent pools that they can actually fish from, as it were, um, that they might not have thought about. James, you mentioned the interview that I did 
Before Christmas with Darren from Timpsons. And for, for people listening who, who didn't hear that interview or who are based outside the, the, the UK and might not have heard of Timpson, Timpson is a UK real retailer that absolutely sort of driving force and, and pioneering the, the recruitment of of ex-offenders into their into their retail shops and Darren talked about this incredible triple win that they have from doing that there's obviously you know a massive win for the for the people that that get jobs there's a, a huge win for for Timpson because they're accessing talent pools that their competitors aren't even thinking about but also there's a massive win for for society in terms of if if people have jobs they're less likely to reoffend so it was a conversation that really kind of opened opened my eyes and it's been it's been a amazing you know, to talking to you two in this conversation as, as well are there any other best practice employers or, or people who are employers are doing this really well that we should well i would agree that timson are the best practice uh, and definitely the pioneers and we're really thrilled and honored to have them as one of our clients um, but if you wanted another one um i've got a bit of an outlier for you matt uh one that probably no almost certainly nobody's ever heard of um and they're a little little recycling business uh, in the north um, northwest of England uh, called Recycling Lives. Um, and fairly early on when I was setting up the Bridge of Hope, somebody suggested I go and talk to them. So I went to meet them. Uh, and I'd heard great things and I didn't really understand what the angle was here. Um, and turned out that they, they'd set up their, uh, they were a recycling business and they'd set up their own foundation. Um, and what had happened was uh, this recycling business, mainly doing TVs and, and fridges, had gone so well, uh, they'd expanded outside the Northwest. They were then uh, into the, um, the Midlands, and then they became fully national uh, across the UK. And they were starting to make really good money. And so they thought they should set up a foundation uh, to kind of give back. Uh, and I said to him, well, what were you hoping to do and what was the plan? And the, the honest answer was, well, we didn't have one, uh, <laughs> but we might made it up on the fly. Um, and I said, well, how did that go? And they said, well, what we did was we drove around their home city, which is called Preston, near Liverpool. Um, and they found people who were homeless at the time. And, and they asked them, basically, um, would, you, would you like another crack at life? Uh, or if they preferred a, another can of Carlsberg, they gave them uh, another can of Carlsberg. But if they were serious about wanting to try and get back into life, uh, they'd say, well, come along. And they, they did an amazing program to, to help people get back on their feet. It was a three or four month program uh, and gave them confidence, reboosted themselves. Uh, and at the end of it, they would say um, they would offer them a job in the recycling business, uh, which sounded amazing. So I was like, wow, this is what a, what a, what a great idea. It works so well. They dovetail so nicely. Uh, and I said uh, to the CEO, well, what were the biggest benefits of this? Uh, and a bit like Darren, he talked about three benefits uh, of this, but they were actually three very different benefits. Uh, and he said, well, the third biggest benefit of, of this was um, that everybody we bought through when they started working for the organization worked way harder. Uh, so the productivity was phenomenal. And it wasn't just them. Everybody then around them actually then started to raise their game as well, rather than being shown up. Uh, so huge win there on the productivity. I said, well, that sounds great. What was the second one? Uh, and he said, well, we don't have such a word as retention. He said that literally is not part of our vocabulary because people don't leave. Certainly the people we put through our program never leave because they're so appreciative, but also because of the culture and the environment we're creating, uh, nobody else wants to leave. Uh, so that really has been a huge game changer. So I said, well, that's pretty extraordinary. I can't imagine how you can top that. But you said there's a first one that's even better. 
Uh, and he said, well, yes. Uh, he said, and I'm a bit embarrassed to say this, really, because this wasn't the plan, but it's turned out to be an amazing byproduct of our inclusive recruitment program. And I said, well, what was that? And he said, well, we will, we win pretty well every pitch or RFP that we go for. Uh, I was a bit intrigued. And I said, well, how, how on earth do you do that? And he said, well, it's quite simple. He said, um, when we're pitching for the TV recycling of Birmingham or whatever, what city it might be, um, everybody else is uh, playing a pricing game and they're all trying to undercut each other and it's all price per ton. And we just say, look, if you, if you, if you do 100 tons, we'll, we'll put one homeless person to work on your project. And if you do 300, we'll put five people on your project. And he said, we win every pitch as a result. Uh, which is pretty extraordinary. And I said, well, wow. And what's your pricing? He goes, oh, we're more expensive than everybody else. So it really reinforced why uh, this actually is not just a good thing to do. It's an incredibly smart thing to do. Uh, And this also reinforced all the research that I'd learned from the uh, business in the community as to why uh, inclusive recruitment was such a smart uh, commercial decision for businesses and also uh, helps, obviously, an awful lot of people back into work and changes lives, as we know. To sort of put that back over to to chance, you you were talking earlier about grit and resilience, and you know how important they were, and how they're such sort of desirable attributes for for, for employers. Talk us through a little bit more about what makes the, the the people that you work with such a unique talent pool, and why employers should be looking at bringing them into their organisation. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're simply gritty people, resilient people. And, you know, if you've gone through barriers all your life, you know, you, you face barriers, you, you, you know, everything, everything's always sort of stacked against you. The very fact that they're still here trying, still continuing to look for work, you know, it suggests a really serious amount of resilience and 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 this is why i used the, the the phrase earlier diamonds in the rough because that's what these candidates are they're very gritty you want them there they're very re- resilient you should want them there and so if all you have to do is just polish them a little bit and watch them sparkle then it's worth doing it's worth saying okay you know um this person just needs to learn how to you know, run this system. And um, once we teach them that, what you'll get is a, a really resilient can- candidate doing that work, someone who probably will not leave. And in fact, it won't be long before they're promoted. And this is what we're finding in various uh, um, companies. James, you, you're creating a really interesting blueprint in, in the UK with all of this. How, how do you plan to scale it? Well, we were initially uh, funded by several wonderful um, social um, impact organizations uh, such as Nesta, Innovate, and Big Issue Impact. Uh, and now we're embarking on our next stage, uh, which is a big seed round to try and help us sustainably scale our social impact business, primarily uh, for further uh, technology, but also more people. Uh, we talked about we are primarily a people person supported by technology rather than the other way around. Um And we're now planning to prove the model uh, over the next two to three years uh, in the UK. Uh, The goal uh, is to try and put 6,000 people who have barriers to employment into work by 2025. Uh, And that will be generating just over 51 million pounds uh, in social value. Uh, And once we've cracked that code, we've got the blueprint sorted, uh, then we absolutely want to go international, probably starting in America. Finally, Chance... 
How's your life been changed through this opportunity and who else benefits from it? Well, it's one, one of the most important things for me was just to have some dignity. And, and, and when, you, when you're given a job and you're working, um, you do feel dignified. And when you don't have a job, you don't. And, and so this sort of spreads into the family. The family feel incredible. My family are incredibly proud of the work that I'm doing. I know with me doing the work, they're so uplifted by it. But one of the things that, uh, and I say this in some time I'm doing some, some talks, you know, when, when someone's given a job, we, we, we know their children are watching. And, and when they don't have a job, we know their their children are, are watching. And so, it has had it has an impact on people's lives, and that's how it's had an impact on mine. Um, because you know, my son it, he said something to me, and it, it actually I had to go off to a corner to, to for the tears to because he said um, he said, "Dad, I love who you are," and that that really moved me. It really moved me because it was different from "I love you." You know, and and so having this job, doing the work that I'm doing, and doing the stuff that I'm doing, it really, really does nourishes the lives of uh, um, other people in the family. And it, and funny enough, one of my uh, one of my brothers who 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 could have been doing much more since I've been doing this, he has been trying to do much more. So it re- it's raised even healthy competition in my family. And so people are stepping up and trying to get some stuff done. So it's it really does have an, an impact. And that's why we look at it as um, more of our, we're in the business of changing lives, Matt. And um, because we know when someone gets a job, we know it does, doesn't just change the life of that individual. It affects the whole family. As a closing question, if people want to know more, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, first of all, thank you so much, Matt. We've uh, so enjoyed this. Uh, and we'd absolutely love to hear from your audience. Uh, our inclusive talent portal uh, can be found at bridgeofhope.careers. That's bridgeofhope, all one word, dot careers. And just click on contact us uh, if you'd like to uh, contact Chance or myself. Uh, I'd also be delighted to share uh, any research on inclusive recruitment. Uh, and if you're interested in the portal, uh, be sure to mention Recruiting Futures and we'll give you a nice juicy discount. And finally, be sure to connect with or message us on LinkedIn. There's a link to both of our LinkedIn profiles um, on the blurb uh, for this podcast. James and Chance, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Matt. Uh, brilliant, brilliant. It's been such a pleasure. My thanks to Chance and James. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.